so short that it cannot say, nor his ear so dull that it cannot hear. Hold a finger there. Go in your little Bible to page 184. Uh, it's 2 Peter 3.9. toward you not wishing for any to perish but for all to come to repentance not wishing for any to perish but all to come to repentance God wanted to have fellowship with his highest creation and he created the human race He knew that there would be problems because He's God. And He says, I'll send a Savior. So from the very beginning of this book to the very end of the book, it's one thing. Redemption of mankind. His, his hand is not so too short that He cannot save, nor His ear too heavy that he cannot hear. Peter says he's not willing that any should perish, but all shall come to repentance. Go to John 6.14. It's page 76 in the New Testament. 76, John 6.14. John 6, 14. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Mr. Bill, what, what are you asking? That's not 6, 14. I'm sorry. 6, 44. Y'all need to read my mind. <laughs> You just want to see what we're playing with him. Thank you. 6.44. You with me now? Yes, sir. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. From time to time, people have passed, have had this hypothetical question, you know, what is the what is an unforgivable sin? Well, number one, there is no sin that God can't forgive. None. But there comes a point in man's life 
where he shuts God out. And that's the problem. When he shuts the Lord out. Now Isaiah's fixing to go into a litany of things here. And none of them are spiritual. None of these things that he's fixing to mention are spiritual problems. But they're heart problems. What did Art tell you last week? It's the heart. It's the heart. Everything we speak, everything we do, comes from our heart. Not this pump, but from our heart. Scripture says it's from our heart speaks. Our heart speaks. So look at here from 9 through, excuse me, 3 through 8. This is the litany of stuff that Isaiah is saying that has separated you from God. For your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken falsehood. Your tongue murders wickedness. No one sues righteously, and no one pleads honestly. They trust in confusion. Speak lies, conceive mischief, bring forth iniquity. I'm going to skip five and six for the time being. <clears throat> their feet run to evil, and they're hasten to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts, <clears throat> their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Devastation and destruction are all in their high highways. They do not know the way of peace, and there is no justice in their tracks. And they have made their path crooked, and wherever, whoever treads on them does not know peace. Well, like a lot of things, the scripture, Isaiah has thrown some metaphors in here on five and six. And he's, 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 let me read you what somebody else said. I said, Art, read five and six right away. They hatch adder's eggs and weave the spider's web. He who eats of their eggs dies, and from that which is crushed, a snake breaks forth. Their webs will not become clothing, nor will they cover themselves with their works. Their works are works of iniquity, and an act of violence is in their hands. You all got that, right? I've been working on it all week and I'm not sure I've got it yet but this is the close I can come to it and this is from a commentary this is figuratively expression is designed to show that evil nature and, ten and tendency of their works they were if they should <coughs> nourish the eggs of a venomous serpent instead of crushing them with their foot and destroying him them, they took pains to hatch them and produce a venomous race of reptiles. Nothing can more forcibly describe the wicked character and the plans of sinners and the language used here. Plans that are as loathsome and hateful as a poisonous serpent that spreads death and ruin and alarm everywhere. And the weaver's spider web this phrase in itself may denote, as some have understood it, that they form plans designed to seize upon 
and destroy others as spiders weave their webs for the purpose of catching and destroying insects. What Isaiah is saying is what? And nothing good going on. Nothing good going on. Fast forward to 2016. Ain't nothing good going on. That's it. You know, there was a time when you could pick up the newspaper and read it and know that that was a true report. Or you could listen to a commentator on TV and a newsreader and says, that's what's going on. In the early stages of Facebook, you could say, well, that's good news. Or that's bad news. But you could believe it. Now, you can't believe anything. Anything. Especially on the internet. Especially on the internet. Everything. Everything. Is evil. Everything. Is for their own. You wonder. What, what the, what's going on? You know. Where, where are we in all this? The Lord hadn't changed. His hand's not so short that he can't say, nor his ears dull that he cannot hear. And yet it's our iniquities that have separated us from God. I don't know about America's being whipped, but it sure like, looks like it may be. Sure looks like it may be. Fast forward 700 years from the time that Isaiah spoke, well, maybe 500 years. And let's go to Romans chapter 1. It's page 119 in your little Bible. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. And in the treatise that Paul wrote us, and we spent almost a year in Romans. It's not any different than when Paul talked. Verse 8, 18 of Romans chapter 1. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, unrighteousness of the men who suppress, suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident with them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world is invisible attributes, His eternal power, His divine nature has been clearly seen, being understood through what was made so that they were without excuse. For they, even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God, or give thanks, but became futile in their speculations, and their foolish, foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools 
and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man, birds, four-footed animals, and crawling creatures. Therefore God gave them over to the lust of their heart, to impurity, so that their body would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshiped and served the create the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Isaiah preached it, prophesied it, Paul wrote about it. We're witnessing it these years later. Bottom line is, the human heart hadn't changed. We're the same old, corrupt, selfish individual we were from the beginning. And unless God gets a hold of us, through His salvation, we don't stand a chance. We don't stand a chance. That's why it's important for us to get everybody we know into the kingdom, everybody we love into the kingdom, because that's the only hope we have in this life. Only hope. Only hope. Back to Isaiah 59. Verse 9. Therefore justice is far from us, and righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light. The whole darkness for brightness, but we walk in gloom. Look at verse 10. We grow along the wall like blind men. We grow like those who have no eyes. We stumble at midday and in the twilight. Among those who are vigorous, we are like dead men. One of the commentators I read for, read from, says this is a picture of moral confusion. Folks, you don't have to listen to TV very long to know that that's exactly where we are. What used to be wrong is now okay. And the tragic part of the battle, the Christian church is going along with it. Little by little, Little by little, we stretch that rubber band and it's not going back to where it was. We're going to take this little by little. Bill Gothard said one time, what one generation takes in excess, the next generation takes in moderation, the next generation takes in excess. Let me say that again right. What one generation takes in moderation, the next generation takes in excess. <coughs> I've taught Judge Bork's book, Slouching Toward Tomorrow. He wrote it in 1992. He's dead now. He was the one that was, was uh, they had appointed him as a Supreme Court Justice and he was too conservative for the people there. And he said, we're slouching toward tomorrow. And he pointed out about four or five things that, that were making a slouch that way. And number one was the church. 
Number two was academia. Number three was the media. Number four was Hollywood. And he's right on target on every one of them. You send your school, your chip, kid to college, you better be careful. He better be soundly in the word now. Because his roots will be shaken when he gets to college. Because what he thought was right, and I, I don't know what it is, but there are very, very few, even in a Christian school, there are very, very few people that stand up for the truth of this book. And we're swallowing it. God's ear is not so deaf that He can't hear us or His arms so short that He can't read but our iniquities have separated us from God. Look at verse 12. For your transgressions are multiplied before you, and your sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us, and we know our iniquities. There have been a few times in history where men of God have fallen on their face and confessed the sins. Uh, turning your Bible to 350, page 350, it's Ezra 9. Ezra 9, page 350 in your little Bible. Ezra 9. <clears throat> Ezra 9, pages, I mean, verses 5 through 8. You with me? But at the evening offering I rose from my humili humiliation. Even with my garment and my robe torn, I fell on my knees and stretched out my hands to the Lord of my God. And I said, Oh my God, I am ashamed and embarrassed to lift up my face to you, my God. For our iniquities have risen above our heads, and our guilt has grown even has grown even to heaven. Since the days of our fathers and to this day, we've been in great guilt on the account of our iniquities. Our kings and our princes have been given into the hand of the kings, to the lands, to sword, to captive, to plunder, to open shame as it is today. But now, for a brief moment, grace has been shown from our Lord God to leave us an escape remnant to give us a peg in this holy place, that our God may be enlighten our eyes and grant us a little renewal, revived in our bondage. We've talked about the remnant going back. This is Ezra and Nehemiah going back. But it started with Ezra on its knees before an Almighty God. Page 636 in the little Bible. It's Daniel chapter 9. 636. Daniel chapter 9. 
I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed and said, Alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps His covenant and loving kindness for those who love Him and keep His commandments. We have sinned, committed iniquity, acted wickedly, rebelled, even turning aside from your commandments and ordinances. Moreover, we have not listened to your servants, the prophet, who spoke in your name to our kings and princes as our fathers and all the people of the land. Righteousness belongs to you, O Lord, but to the open shame is in this to this day to the men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and to all Israel, those who are nearby and those who are far away in all the countries to which you have driven them. Because of their unfaithful deeds which they have committed against you, open shame belongs to us, O Lord, to our kings and our princes our fathers because we have sinned against you. To the Lord, our God, belongs compassion and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against them. Nor have we obeyed the voice of the Lord, our God, to walk in His teaching, which He has set before us through His servants and prophets. Confession of what the Lord had done. I don't know anybody today that has a heartbeat of the Christian church and God's people like Franklin Graham. That guy we need to pray for because the devil will work on him. He started earlier this year going to every state house and praying. This is this issue of October of Decision Magazine. And he starts out with the very same thing that Ezra and that Daniel and that Jeremiah is saying. He says, <clears throat> basically, <laughs> I can't find the quote right now, but he says, we have turned our back on God and we need to confess our sins as a nation. And he starts off every one of his prayer pictures. He says in this article, he didn't know how many would come because he was going to be in the movie. He said maybe a few hundred. He's going to wind up in Raleigh <coughs> in the end of the month. And at that time, they hope to have over 200,000 people that come to the Lord on their knees praying or pray. Confess the sins of their people. Confess the sins of their people. God doesn't leave us in a in a place where we where we can't where we have no hope. Because look at the latter part of, of Isaiah 59. Look at verses uh, 21. Well, 20. He tells them. He said, A Redeemer will come to Zion. Verse 21. As for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. 
My spirit which is upon you and my words which I put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth, nor the mouth of your offspring, nor the mouth of your offspring's offspring, says the Lord, now and forevermore. We have this book. We can hold in our hand. We can read it. We can set it on the shelf and never read it. Never read it. I was reading a survey this week. In fact, I, I put it in, in that little note I sent you about the covenant carnival. The one thing that, <clears throat> that is almost universal with people who call themselves followers of Jesus is that they read their Bible every day. You can't stop and open the book and be still and let the Lord speak to you that He won't speak to you. That He won't speak to you. The Lord's ear is not so <clears throat> dull that He can't hear. Or His arm is so short that He doesn't, doesn't take care of us, but it's our iniquities. Folks, we need to pray for our nation, for one another, and for those we love. Because it's not getting any better. It's not getting any better. Father, we thank you for who you are. And we thank you for the Word of God. We thank you that it doesn't change when everything around us changes. We thank you that it's truth when nothing else seems to be truth. We thank you that it is morally upright when everything we see borders on immorality. Father, bless us. Bring us back to our knees that we can confess our personal sins before you and forsake them and that you will make us the people you want us to be. Take us. Use us this week. Thank you.